Hello and welcome to episode 167 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I am Anthony Malakian, Editor-in-Chief of Waters, and today I am joined by uh, somebody who I've known for a long time and spoken with for a long time. He's been at our conferences. You've been at our conferences. You know him well. Uh, Keith Lubell, the Chief Technology Officer at Berkeley Noise. Keith, thanks for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me here. It's, I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So, I mean, anybody who's been at our conferences knows Keith. And the reason why I wanted to finally get Keith on the show is he, he's one of those technologists that is always looking ahead, looking at new technologies. A lot of time technologists, they get locked into kind of their world and they don't kind of look at what's happening at the broader world of technology. I've always appreciated the fact that, you know, Keith and I will send each other interesting articles sometimes, you know, just be like, oh, this is kind of cool on high performance computer or something like that. And I, I've always appreciated the fact that you're really kind of locked into the broader world. So I thought maybe we're not going to talk so much about capital markets. We're going to talk more about broader technology and a little bit about capital markets, I guess. All right. Yeah. Remember <laughs> that uh, article I sent on the uh, floating point number? That was absolutely. Yeah. That's very obscure. So. Yes. I always know like when, it, when it's an email coming from you, I know it's going to be something Really in the weeds, technology stuff that I'm like, ah, it's really cool. Nothing I can really do, but it's cool stuff. So yeah. <laughs> figure, let's have a conversation about it today. And I think the best way to, the uh, big reason why I wanted to have you on is something that doesn't necessarily touch on what Waters technology covers on an everyday basis, but that is very, very interesting to the broader world of finance, I guess, and technology is this idea of Facebook uh, launching or looking to launch uh, the Libra coin. Uh, so me and you kind of discussed this a little bit off air, but why was this something that kind of jumped out and interested in was of interest to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I found it interesting because I'm um, number one, I, I've always wondered why money has its value. A lot of people, you know, when the Bitcoin came out and there was that fever about a year or so ago and everybody wanted to wanted to buy and it was a whole crazy scenario and, you know, I had CEOs and various people come, well, what's behind this? And I yeah. basically said nothing. <laughs> so, and it's, you know. So when Facebook came out, I was curious to see what their take was. And uh, I found it really interesting that they're, they're not so much, I mean, the word is they're creating their own coin, their own cryptocurrency, but that's not really the idea that they're going for. What they're trying to do with that currency is to uh, sort of reach out to communities that don't have quite the financial resources that you know most of us have as far as access to banks access to easy payments um reminds me of story my wife said she went to i think where was it it was zimbabwe mm -hmm. and so they went to change i don't know maybe a hundred dollars at the bank and they looked at them like wow that's crazy <laughs> and then she found out why, because they gave her shopping bags full of money, mm -hmm. which, of course, within a matter of hours would devalue significantly. Yeah. So, I mean, those, I mean, we're talking about Zimbabwe, but you can imagine that, you know, the U.S. dollar is pretty strong, but Libra could 
potentially help these other countries and these other people in other countries specifically um, have access to a solid sort of currency. And that, that, I think, is the interesting part, is that they're trying to, they looked out, they saw there was an opportunity um, to provide service to people, and they're, they're going after it. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Because I remember the first time that I really started, you know, I'd heard about cryptocurrency. I heard about Bitcoin a lot several years ago. But then there was a New York Times article written about these Argentinian vendors um, that would sell services and that they started to only accept Bitcoin. Um, And there would be a guy running around the streets that would actually pay out in cash. And it was really, really interesting, weird I guess, um, for somebody like myself that doesn't understand finance and currencies. But that was kind of the idea behind Bitcoin originally was, or and cryptocurrencies originally was, this idea that for uh, currencies that fluctuate, for state currencies that fluctuate so much. Yeah, like it, Argentina, yeah. And and especially about, you know, this is six, seven, eight years ago when there was a, I'm not sure what it is now, but there was a lot of volatility there, certainly. Um, you think about like uh, I've, I've gone to Serbia a lot with uh, they have the Serbian dinar and the the convergence to U.S. dollar. When I come back, there's no way for me really to exchange any Serbian dinars when I come back. So this is kind of an idea around it. So that was the original idea behind cryptocurrency. Why would something like Facebook's Libra be different than what already exists in the market? Why is this something that you feel is different than your ethers and your than your traditional uh, cryptos that we've seen so far? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a good thought. Um, I think the big change or the big difference has to be that they have, they're putting assets, actual re- real assets behind the currency. So, I mean, if you remember, I think it was... Till 1971 or so, uh, the U.S. dollar was pegged to the gold standard, mm-hmm. and um, so and that's provided a lot of stability to the U.S. dollar. Now, after they went off the the uh, gold standard, there was massive inflation. I don't know if you remember, probably don't, but there was Ford had this thing called WIP, you know. Or, I don't know how old you think I am, but, but granted, yeah, granted, yeah. yo, Jimmy Carter was president when I was born, but, you know, come on. Uh, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he had this crazy thing was like whip inflation now or mm-hmm. whatever. I don't know. That was it. Whip in. I was a kid. I remember yeah. it. And it was like, wow. And I do remember like, you know, the rising prices. And that's when we, pull, you know, for many reasons why that happened from what I've heard. Uh, a little side note, my father-in-law was a monetarist economist, so I've had lots of great discussions with him. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was a big <laughs> gold guy. So, Well, I, and I, that is actually something – okay, let's go on a tangent here for a second. Cryptocurrencies compared to gold, that, it, that seems to be something that I'm reading a lot in mainstream press. You have a lot of people talking about it. Is there any – because gold is something that is physical. Granted, it's locked up in, you know, usually the Federal Reserve or something like that, but it is something that is physical. Is there any correlation to that, do you, do you find? Yeah, I mean, I think what they're trying to do uh, on the cryptocurrencies, not specifically Libra, mm-hmm. but the other ones, is that they have a finite number of coins. And yeah. that the number of coins at the beginning, you know, are, you know they increase rapidly and then they s- start to slow down. 
So they're like gold. It's a rare element. And so they're saying, oh, this, the scarcity of this Isn't element. Isn't it a rare element, though, just because it's created rare as opposed to gold, which is physically rare? I, I think mean, it's, even though there are rare gemstones, yeah, it's, but we'll it, not go that narrow, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is physically rare. But, I mean, the other and the other thing why it sort of passes the test of time is that it doesn't rust. So, yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, it's atomic numbers, you know, really high, whatever. And so it doesn't. That's actually interesting. I didn't know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> didn't so it doesn't rust. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it won't, you know, you know, you know that's Fair why. Enough. Yeah. We've gone off on a tangent. Yeah, there. yeah. Let's go back to Libra. Um, and we can talk about rust too. <laughs> <laughs> so it is though this idea of the traditional bank. So so Libra is trying to come in in a different way. Where so let's just look at cryptocurrencies as an asset class. You have your asset oriented banking institutions, and then you have technology companies looking to come in and manage efficiency. This is what you've told me. This is yeah. Know, that that was not my unique thought. That was Keith thought. I, I I undercut him a little bit there, but why don't you kind of expand upon? Oh that? yeah, yeah, sure. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, traditionally speaking, uh, banks, you know, they're always their main mission was to provide financing for capitalism, sure. right? I mean, that's they they collect the money, and then they provide it to various entrepreneurs or various developers or any any various businesses to develop their businesses and that's how and then they take you know they take money off of that they get their fees off that so i mean that's the traditional bank model and there's been a lot of regulation i mean we could just stepping back i mean all of it is based around you know controlling banks and making it's very you know their assets uh safe the too big to fail all the focus on banks is about their assets and how they manage it, and how they use it uh, to help, uh, how they use it to help, you know, fuel the economy. Mm-hmm. So, but technology, the tech companies, they come from a whole different point of view. They are very focused on the consumer and the consumer experience. Um, you know, all these different, uh, you know, Facebook. They've spent a lot of time on their algorithm on how to manage your your newsfeed. Uh, Google has a lot of time spent on giving you the best results. It's very focused sure. on the end user. Banks they don't focus on the people who are provi- you know who need banking services that who need an ATM card or who need. I mean they yeah. they do provide those services, but their fundamental mission is not really that. And I think that's the big difference. And I think you know techies who are these tech companies are all focused on reducing friction in processes. It's very in, and banking. It's more about introducing friction just to protect things. Yeah. So I think stickiness in some ways. Yeah. Through that slow down process. Slow everything down. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and so I mean, it's interesting because, and then the banks, you know, they're not able to serve many communities, especially those where. As you said, the, as we know, the currencies are poor, or people don't have, uh, you know, they they don't have enough money to really even fund because there's minimums, and, yeah. they, and they don't have enough money to fund, 
to use a bank, you know, yeah. you know, the paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, there's many, you know, many banks will, if you don't, if you go below $100 and they take $15 from you as like a servicing fee, they call it. Right, like right. And if there's the overdraft stuff, obviously, that a lot of banks have had to pay out a lot of money uh, recently because of kind of uh, kind of different lawsuits and stuff. But, you know, there's always those fees if you don't have enough money in there, right? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you can see. And so, I mean, in their white paper, they that's the first thing they say. It's like there's this huge community of underserved people, and that's the whole point of the Libra currency. Mm-hmm. It's basically, and they're partnering with Visa, and it's all payment-oriented. And that's what we've seen uh, in the fintech marketplace is that they're picking off these services and they're very service oriented, not asset oriented, and they're picking off the payment services. They're picking off the mortgage services. Um, Berkeley Noise actually has um, has a lot of clients who are in that mortgage space, mm-hmm. you know, making the mortgage process more um, I don't think I'm allowed to say, it, but anyway, <laughs> but making making that whole yeah. process safer. So and Berkeley Noise. Mean, so, so for the people that don't quite know, it's um it's a bank that specializes in mergers and acquisitions. Is that the correct way? Of yeah, yeah, framework? yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, we work in the lower middle market. Uh, most of our clients are are entrepreneurs, so we are sort of around working with our clients. We're around innovation all the time, and mm-hmm. these our clients are people who have created new businesses and um, and we're helping them to find the right valuation for the businesses we're helping them find the right exit strategy so but the end result is is that you know we sort of live and breathe innovation just by proximity yeah so and we try to look at our own business and I know our managing partner uh, Jim Berkeley he's often looking at in a very entrepreneurial way at the at the business so yeah so. Let me ask you this. So looking back at Facebook and what they're trying to do here, you brought up banks and this idea around too big to fail. One interesting thing that we're starting to see in kind of the regulatory sphere is this idea that big tech is becoming – there's a lot more focus by the regulators being put on the companies like Facebook – uh, for various reasons, social media companies, as well as your Googles, your Amazons, these cloud providers, stuff like that. And there's been, with Libra, there's been a lot of, the the word uh, antitrust has been thrown around a lot, right? What are your thoughts around that? No, it's an interesting thought. It just reminds me, um, back, I think it was in the late 90s, there was no internet sales tax. Because mm-hmm. I remember I was working on building some e-commerce site back then, and we were like, oh, we don't have to worry about tax. It was a little iffy whether we would, but at that point, we didn't have to worry about yeah. it. And then, of course, they started put, they putting <laughs> putting that down. But, um, I mean, you know, the, the government, um, specifically the U.S. government, has been generally giving tech a bit of a free ride, partly because it's been driving our economy uh, and it's been driving in a big way. I mean, we saw a lot of manufacturing disappear, but at that same time, we saw all this tech and media come up. So it's um, it's an interesting shift. So they wanted to sort of foster that shift. Now that we have what the big five tech companies, and they're mammoth, and they're the major players, yeah. uh, you know, in our economy, now they're saying, well, now they're saying, okay, now we have to, to manage you. Yeah. And... 
So, I mean, yeah, and it's interesting because I was thinking about it. It's like, oh, well, how do you look at each of these companies? They do compete with each other, sort of, but they all, if you look at the big five, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google, and... What is it? It's, it's a, <laughs> oh, what's the acronym? Amazon, Apple. That's the middle part. Amazon, Apple. G, Gab, and Facebook. Right? Facebook. Oh, right. Yeah, right. We were talking about That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but they each sort of, you know, they compete a little bit. But yeah. it's kind of, you know, Microsoft kind of competes with them all a little bit. Yeah. Um, and They, they have were areas the, where they're interacting and then areas yeah, I mean, where they're like, no, we're different. They have completely. Bing. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> it is somewhat competitive-ish. Yeah. And then they have Azure, which then competes with Amazon. Yep. Uh, I know Facebook has a marketplace, so that competes with Amazon's marketplace. Um, so it's one of those Venn diagrams where there's yeah, overlaps here and there. Yeah, but they can say, "Oh, well, we're not completely competitors because we have this business." Yeah, I, I would say uh, Facebook would be the most monopolistic at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly because they control. There's no other social media. Yeah. I mean, there's you know, and they control WhatsApp and Instagram. Well, Instagram, and, yeah. You know, well, yeah. you know, and WhatsApp, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you have at the edges Twitter and Tumblr. And God, I sound old on this. Uh, what, what's uh, the the video share? I, I don't know. Never mind. A Vine. Not, yeah, a Vine. Vine. Uh, yeah. Maybe I, I don't know what it is. Uh, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. Maybe so, I was born during Ford's era. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Oh. So, um, it's just, it's, it's an interesting, yeah, regulators mean, I, certainly are, this is going to be one of those discussions, especially as privacy and data privacies, certainly. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the Facebook has been caught out. I mean, the, the, uh, they have no control over the, the data that yeah, they, they were mining. Yeah, fine from the SEC. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so, and because of the, there being a social network, I see them as probably being the most um, highly regulated, like they went after Microsoft, you know, in the 90s and yeah. the aughts or whatever. How do you call the 2000s? Aughts. Yep. The aughts. Yeah, it's not a great, it's not a great yeah. term, but we ought to say yeah. something. <laughs> Can't call it the zeros, you know, I guess it's. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, I mean, they were, go- you know, they, fe- I think Facebook's next in line for that. I, I. I think uh, you could look at Amazon and their marketplace. They're pretty, you know. I think Amazon's going to face it. Well, the marketplace, I, I'll be interested to see if, to bring me back back to a cap market just a little bit, but they have such a market share on their cloud. So everybody, oh, yeah. you know, that that's something that, that when an Amazon, when one of their servers goes down, they're not easily able to distribute to one of their other uh, centers. It really creates market disruption. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, you do pay for it to be distributed. Yeah. So, but that's, I mean, to get that distribution. Um, and, but when they're unable, for those rare, rare instances, yeah. it really levels everybody, it seems like. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was that denial service attack? What was it back? Yeah. What was it? The US 1, uh, the, the AWS's US 1 that. Really oh right! That. Every that was yeah that was several years ago. I know that yeah that actually is funnily enough. You know our website uh, was hosted elsewhere, but we hosted some of our images on there. Okay, and some of our uh, you know sort of more we used them as a 
content delivery network for sure. some of our and it took down our system in that way just yeah. sort of like by proxy so yeah i you mean you don't it, realize how yeah. interconnected it is until it happens yeah it's like bloomberg when bloomberg goes down something like that you don't yeah. realize the weeds that yeah know, how those tentacles spread i guess yeah well that and <laughs> yeah and i mean i i've used the only ones i've used the cloud providers i've used was both azure and aws yeah. which are pretty much the big ones i haven't used google's but i mean it's pretty big too they're making a push in ibm to a lesser extent yeah, yeah. but i mean amazon's their the whole system is just so much more mature yeah. and so much easier to use um you know like the other day um i said to one of our engineers i said hey you know i'd like you to look into kali and he said well how do i do that and i said well, just what go. is Kali? Oh, I'll get to that. But it's it. But uh, other than a dog, <laughs> no, Kali. No, I think isn't it um, the Hindu goddess of, uh, of the war or something okay. like that? I was thinking a border Kali, but okay. no, no, uh, no, K L I. Okay, so you know, I apologize has, then you, for you know Indian that image Muslims. of the multi-armed yes. Yes. Uh, uh, goddess with that is me just being not educated more than anything. But please uh, okay. go on about all right, it. All right, all right. Well, anyway. <laughs> So I had, yeah, he asked the same question, to be honest, my engineer. She said, what's that? And I said, well, I said, well, you could just, you know, go on Amazon and we have an account. Just spin up a, a small instance of, of Kali on Linux and just play with it and just tell me what you think. Yeah. Back to Kali, it's a, it's a penetration testing tool. Okay. So, you know, it's a tool. I mean, you, know, you could do, you know, if someone said to you, oh, yeah, I'd like to set up Moodle, you could just spin it up. I mean, it's, it's just sort of, you know, it's like choosing from a menu and then boom, it's right up. So, I mean, it, it I find uh, Azure, it's a, a bit slower. Everything's just like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you feel the, the wheels grinding. Sure. You, feel like uh, you got to feed the There's chipmunks a little bit. AWS is so, yeah. so big. I mean, obviously, everybody uses – it's that idea that everybody's coupling up cloud services, right, whether it's with uh, Microsoft to a lesser extent, you know, uh, GCP, Google Cloud Platform or IBM Cloud. But AWS is almost always included. Very rarely do you ever hear – Oh yeah, I use Azure and uh, or Azure and um, and uh, Google, you know, or something like that. Right. You know? So it is like, I think that that's going to be one of the big things that we're going to see in the next five years. I'm not sure how quickly this is going to come, but yeah. this idea that these big tech companies are have lived, they pushed their boundaries, and we'll see because we'll also if they become on, too big to fail. Yeah. 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 yeah I, the, it'll probably start in Europe first and then spread over to here, but we'll see how it becomes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and as we know, uh, the GDPR, I mean, yeah. that whole privacy scheme, uh, that's bleeding over to, you know, yep. even to firms as small as ours, because we do do business in Europe. Yeah. So, I mean, we, and we do have to be concerned with it. Um, and. I mean, the good thing I, I notice because I mean, we we migrated our whole um, uh, email and all that onto Office three sixty five and our file services and so forth, and um, because we you know I decided our tech group is really you know why should we be in the file service business? Why sure. should be in the business of managing email? It just seems crazy. Yeah. So, but I mean, the nice thing about it is that. Like, for instance, 
uh, you know, we we get uh, these random emails from the system saying, hey, someone sent a, an email with a credit card number in it. You should be worried about that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, thankfully it was personal credit card for personal stuff. But yeah. it was like, you know, we had to talk. And it, it's surprising it was the, you know, our bankers in their 20s who just, they didn't have the wherewithal to think maybe that's not a it good idea. Yeah. It's it's something that they they were so, they were brought up with it that they never really thought about the idea of, yeah. Privacy, the idea that my social security number is my mother just being like, oh, don't ever give out your social security. You know, yeah, yeah. You, me thinking like, oh, my you God. You have to my give it to the doctors, over. right? Yeah, yeah, and you exactly. were like, oh, no. The Should doc- I really put this down? I don't know. But, uh. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, just talking about some of these services that they do, it's, it's great. I mean, you know, I just found out, and maybe this is my bad, but I think it's relatively recent that they put together Azure File Services. So I wish I had moved all our files onto that as opposed to SharePoint, which is, yeah, not. That's not. why we have these conversations. So everybody gets to know about these things. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. So, it is so tough. This is actually something that um, when uh, Bill Murphy's uh, CTO at uh, Blackstone, but he was talking about how the amount of updates that these uh, cloud providers go through, it's, it's tough to stay on top of everything these like little things that can actually be most of them are not going to be useful to your organization but for that five percent that is you gotta be you know if if you it it really helps to be on top of it yeah yeah no it's uh and and i know my experience with office 365 is that um we originally had put everybody on you know update as fast as possible and then we realized no we saw the effects you know people you know, they're having to reboot their computer all the time. And yeah. so, we, you know, unfortunately, they provided the ability to slow it down uh, which, and also was able to provide the ability for, let's say, my engineering team to do the faster updates and yeah. experience it ahead of time, get ahead of that. But um, so that's nice. But you're, you're right. I mean, it's um, it, the good thing about the updates is that um, – you know, as new vulnerabilities come out, you know, the companies put out, you know, the various companies put out um, fixes. Yeah. But, you know, the hackers, as soon as it's a published um, vulnerability, they're looking for those people who don't have the time to update their their machines, that they don't have... Um, Every CISO's nightmare right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it just happens. And, you know, uh, you know, I have to remind our team that, yeah, you guys have to update. This yeah. is, we have to force these updates through. And if you drop updates, you know, it's, I think it's, a, you know, a Microsoft has a one once a month update, unless they have like a critical crazy update. Sure. But they've been having a series of update craziness. I mean, that they pushed out some updates. They, uh, what was it that there's, um, no, I can't remember, but there was a, a feature that they said was working, but then they secretly disabled it, but the, it still works. Yeah. I, I think it was the encryption. It was something, you know, oh, no, it was the backup of the registry. That's what okay. it was. So you had a feature where you could regularly backup the registry, which is sort of like the, the key to how your computer knows how everything's installed in Windows. And they said it was backing up, but... It wasn't, yeah, because it was causing a problem. So they disabled it, it yep. but they didn't tell. No, it's all back up. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> it's such a it, it, it is funny but i'll tell you what the one thing i i do, I do want to get to this with you before mm. because the way that me and you I, I think actually we were on a webinar or something like that together and you had brought up this thing called the julia programming language oh yeah, yeah. several years ago yeah and this is talking about having to keep up on you know kind of just tech advancement stuff like that yeah and so we after I was like, listen, I haven't heard of this. You know, can you tell me a little bit more about it? Um, and then uh, you were able to introduce me to the creators of it, and you know, and I started to speak with a lot of people in the industry that were using this very, very new open source functional programming language, right? Right. Um, I know that this is something you keep up on now. Libra obviously is creating their own language that mm. I think you were saying. It's based move, move, move. Based yes. on Rust. Based off of the Rust, which which is another one of those up-and-coming yeah. languages that we're seeing. Yeah. Where, where do you kind of, is there anything that you think is interesting that maybe our listeners should either be keeping an eye out for or that you think is, I don't know, looking at the programming language landscape, what, yeah. what, what interests you most? Well, I mean, what I have seen is that, uh, Python is the one that everybody is now focusing yeah. on, especially for data science, a little bit, you know, AI and all that. The problem with Python is that it's it's just it's an interpreted slow language. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's why Julia was created uh, to take that on. Uh, and there is something um, I think what's it called the LLVM. I think it's low level virtual machine. Yes. And so that was one of the keys to Julia sort of running so efficiently without and sort of being both an interpreted and an efficient language at the same time. So um, from what I saw recently, um, there is something, I think it's called Numba for uh, Python, where it allows you to sort of tell Python in your code if you've installed it uh, or you've included in your, your, your build to do this. Uh, just in time to take advantage of the LLVM. Mm-hmm. Um, though I think it's very new. Um, people, there are other optimizations, like um, uh, Intel just put out a library, or they, you know they've been doing it, but they have a math library that works with Python called uh, Numa, and um, I believe it's Numa. no, no, I can't remember now, uh, but. They have it, and it's all optimized to, to run on their machines. So, you know, will these different optimizers conflict? Probably. <laughs> How? Let me ask you something. When you have these things that come out, so I got to imagine that is it you experiment with them internally, and then you know how. That, that, because a, Python has been around forever, and you know that's tried and true. There are libraries galore out there. You know that it, you know that there are going to be workarounds to any of the problems that a bank, that a, a financial institution yeah. is going to face, rather than going with a Rust or Julia or much less, you know, um, Move or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, the, you're sort of a. I guess that topic could be called technical debt in a way. It's like. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I met, uh, used to have a neighbor who worked at Bloomberg, and he said they had, you know, just numerous, you know, lots of code that's, you know, really driving their products, and it's all C++, and it dates yeah. from the 90s, and it's like, 
it's it hard works. To, you know it works yeah it works so it's yeah it has its limitations yeah i mean i think the dirty word you know is is refactoring do mm. they want to refactor that mm, you know yeah. not really uh i have the same issue i have one of our our sites um mandasoft.com which you know it needs refactoring it's 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 really tied you know it's old it needs Updates, and then that's the question. You know, where do you go with the updates? Which technologies um, uh, to to take on? And uh, yeah, it's tough. I mean, part of the reason those things are hard, you know, things that were created a while ago, is um, the architectures we used were more monolithic. Mm -hmm. Let's say, and that's why I'm sure you heard the buzzword around microservices. That sort of allows you to sort of sort of compartmentalize all your little sort of bits of code and then if something needs to be updated you could do a piecemeal like oh i can take this service you know um that uh that say manages uh whatever email or whatever and so and then you could say i just update that um i have a whole you know i have one of our services that sort of analyzes a lot of information that's coming in through our web server and so that's a service and so uh, you know, if that needs an update, I can then swap it in and out. And, yeah. and I think that's, but, you know, and that's where you could potentially, let's say, um, uh, introduce a new technology, see how it performs. And, but that, you know, I think the key thing to that is that the service has to be um, sort of, it has to be, um, or the language, and that's one of the things with Julius is not so good about is that, I, it's hard to package it in the service. They they do have some packages that allow you to do that, but it's not really the strength of the language at this point in time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, but, uh, you know, the real game changer from that, which is related, is is the Jupyter Notebooks, right? That's, you know, both Jupyter, uh, was it uh, Python, Julia, no, I can't remember, Erlang, I think is the other one. Okay. And they're kind of cool. They're really, you know, I've played around with them. You can install them on your own machine, but it's kind of like a, a programming doodle doodle, you know, pad where you can just sort of doodle out programming, and you don't have to worry about like, oh, I got to do the interface to allow yeah. me to. You don't have to spend time on the on the uh, on sort of the tedious gooey stuff. Is this like a like a sandbox? So this is the Jupiter, yeah, a little bit of the Jupyter notebook is kind of like a sandbox environment. Is what yeah, saying? it is. It can be a sandbox. Yeah, okay. but it's also, I mean, it's really helpful uh, if you're, let's say you're doing a financial model or you're doing some sort of you want to model some algorithm, you can model it in these notebooks, and it's like you're taking notes, and it's it's sort of and you could, you know, connect to data there. It, it's it's almost like Tableau in a way, except it's very programmer oriented. Yeah. So I mean, it's very much you can write your your code in here and just see how it goes and it's, can i ask you how you came across that oh i mean i came across it through my uh, investigations with julia because yeah. that's sort of like the best way to use julia at this point yeah um, how do you did for people that want to stay up uh, keep abreast of these kind of developments what maybe are some of the you know obviously you can't get everything i'm out of magic is a lot but what what do you think is best of breed you know kind of as far as going about this about going what just keeping, just up, keeping keep, up to date on these new kind of ways of 
experimenting, learning about. Obviously, you subscribe to Water Technology. That's first and foremost for all of our listeners. They have to do that, you know, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's true. Um, uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, uh, some of it, I, you know, I, I try to hang out with a lot of people, to be honest. And I learned about... It's still word of mouth a lot. Yeah, right? a lot of it is. is I, I learned... Um, a lot of information from just people. I also, you know, I do get a ton of emails, which I scan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, they're newsletters. Um, I do take advantage of Google's news service, which actually that's something I've used more and more lately, where it sort of has a whole, you know, I, I've done the deal with the devil. I give all my information to them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but they <laughs> they provide me a news uh, wire on things that they can tell based on what I've searched on. Sure. So now I get, you know, without even trying, I they have built um, sort of a news wire for me, just based like on programming things. You know, I'm look I'm yeah. doing research, and then it sort of is built. I mean, I find that's pretty amazing. So. Um, you know, machine I was, learning, natural language processing, all these things, yeah, are just coming together. No, right now. <laughs> it's it's crazy. You know, and um, I was talking with an old college buddy just a couple of days ago, and he's a big privacy uh, person, a big sure. privacy ad- advocate. I mean, he won't even have like, um, you know, one of those uh, supermarket loyalty cards because he says they're going to collect his information and profile him and so <laughs> forth. And so, I mean, he's pretty nutty on that front. But I just say it, you know. Just forget it. Yeah, you know. At some point, like you said, it's yeah. making deal with devils. My dad, he said he never got an easy pass, even though he had to always go over the Tappan Zee Bridge and stuff. And it's like, and finally, he's like, you know what? Because he's worried about the government being able to monitor him. Where he's like, you yeah, know yeah. What? Just take it. I just need the ease of use. <laughs> yeah, that's an old school version of it. But yeah, oh, no, no. Uh, Actually, I, I now it's me, online identity. Yeah, it took me a while to get the easy pass. I have to <laughs> say, and my my wife said like. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny the at some point they really do beat you down and you're just like, All right, you know what, this is a lot easier if I just give up some information. Yeah. But man, it's yeah. it's it, gonna be the, one of those things over the next five years. Yeah, I mean I think uh it's interesting because you know people don't really pay attention, I think, to some of these sort of Orwellian dystopias. Yeah. Which you know, it's um, it's it's good to remember. You yeah. know, it's good to remember. And as I said, I mean, you could see with Facebook how much they violated people's privacy and huge fund by the SEC. Yeah, I mean, you know, if the NSA violated our privacy, we probably wouldn't know about it. Yep. Uh, so that well, would. There's be- already been reports about you know that those kind of things. Yeah. Know, those- yeah, a lot well, of sketchiness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's sort of going into the you yeah. know, conspiracy theories. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised that they've leveraged yeah. it. Um, you know, but. it is going to be. I think that privacy will be one of those things that is just going to be. That's going to be one of the big things of the next many many years. Yeah. Well, the one thing I do want to get to you on because I will go down conspiracy theories and everything like <laughs> oh. all day long, but. We talked about programming languages. Right. The other thing that I know that you have been following a lot is this idea of language and semantics. 
which I think also plays into how people are able or how companies are able to collect so much information and data about us, right? Yeah. Um, but why is this something that you have found interesting? Where do you th- see there to be good applicable applicable uh, instances of uh, these advancements? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've always been interested in semantics. Um, you know, I lived abroad. I, I, uh, For speak- those that don't know. Keith was, you know, you might think, all right, he works at Berkeley Noise, you know, M&A, investment manager, uh, banker. Worked for the Department of Defense, uh, developing war game simulations for B-52 bombers no. and anti-submarine, I believe. Oh, uh, B-1, right? B-1. Oh, sorry, The B-52 sorry. goes back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you had that, and then decides, you know what, I'm going to go uh, live with my wife in Spain, play some music in Spain for a while. This man has done a lot. He's not just a technology. He's done a, a, a variety of things. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, as I said, it, when you sort of live in a different country and uh, for a certain period of time, you kind of realize that language sort of governs your mindset. Like, sure. and, uh, and I think... Um, and, you know, sometimes I speak Spanish or French to my daughter, who's four years old, and she says, no, use your real voice. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the, the um, I guess, uh, it, yeah, but I think language is more, um, is very important. And it's very important to how we sort of view the world. Um, I'm a big fan of this really geeky writer called Terry Pratchett. And uh, Terry Pratchett, you know, he has this big scheme that we should not be uh, homo sapiens, but uh, homo narratus, meaning we like to make stories. And that's how we understand the world. And so how does that apply to, uh, how do we use that in a technology way? Well, that's semantic technology. So, and what we, you know, one of the things, one of our business problems is sort of trying to group companies together to kind of to uh, I mean there's a couple reasons why we do that um, when you're building out a comparables analysis to value a company you have to sort of look well what other companies are similar to this and basically to do that I mean you could do it by hand but you know we have a uh, in our data set you know I don't know 200,000 companies that we've looked at and we, we don't cover the whole industry we just do uh, media and software and some services, but in order to be able to sort of make sense of that set of data, we use semantics to sort of, sort of to we use a taxonomy to sort of organize that information so that we can say, oh, these companies are similar, and and we have some uh, you know, some of our we use some t- technology to um, sort of group things in a fuzzy way. Is this uh, built internally, or is it a hybrid, or is it you use a third party for it? Uh, we built it internally just because we, when we started, there wasn't anything out there. There was, <laughs> I mean, there were a few things. Uh, probably, if we started again, we would not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely wouldn't. But uh, I mean, I think we did start with something called the Princeton WordNet. Uh, yeah. One of our programmers pulled that in, and uh, you know, it was an interesting start to it but you know the idea is that here we have language it allows us to sort of group 
our information. You know, we'll have hard numbers on companies like their revenues or their net income, their EBITDA, and all that sort of stuff. Or we have deals, and we have multiples on those deals, and we have um, all sorts of numbers related to those deals. But the way we can make sense of it and group them is is through semantic technology. Sure. And uh, originally, you know, we used that internally, uh, but we also we found it was a good way to sort of, when we were approaching our clients, to give them appropriate information. So, in an you know automated way, sort of just like you know Google gives me my news feed um, based on what they know about me. We're we're providing information to our clients based on what we know about them and yeah. using semantic technology to do that. So, and that's where you see kind of is that kind of so is that kind of conversion of a couple different things of big data, the idea of uh, cloud computing, I would imagine to be able to have all this information um, and then s- certain s- forms of AI to connect it? Or are you saying this is actually much simpler than this? It's actually simpler, but uh, I think it could be, uh, we have a couple of different algorithms that need improvement. Mm-hmm. It definitely, um, you know, in a way, we build this sort of um, this semantic top- topology in mm-hmm. a way where we sort of, you know, we look at the a whole set of words that are kind of keywords to the various industries that we have, and we arrange them in basically a, in a space. We sort of a four dimensional space. So yeah. that's the way we we look at it, and um, and so it's interesting. We're just actually mapping that space onto um, uh, onto our, our words. And so, and it's interesting because then we sort of got some ideas that are kind of a little crazy uh, where we say, well, we do know from a fact that certain words are used a lot and mm-hmm. they tend to warp the space around that. So we try to, when we're building our topology, we try to do that, warp yeah. the space you know, just like, you know, Einstein says, you know, black holes, curved space. So we thought, well, you know, we're doing that with words. Sure. And it's like if a word's used a lot, it definitely has, you know, it has impact in some way. I think it actually paradoxically what happens is a word is used so much it actually becomes less meaningful. Okay. Because uh, um, when we're sort of trying to match things together, if a word's used a lot, then it's not very meaningful. So, I mean, so we that, that's kind of an interesting so thing. So there is kind of like a tipping point between this is an irrelevant word versus it's almost too much, so you have to find that sweet spot. Yeah. yeah. Is that humans then that, you know, so you have to kind of sit there and kind of say, you, you go through it and you say, these are, we're going to kind of create these words and these seem to be, the, the sweet spot of what we're well, looking no, for? Uh, no, I mean, we see how the words are used. So yeah. we do use some statistics for that. I think that is very ripe for some AI to really start to sort of introduce uh, various weights and factors to to the topology and sort of twist the space based on on how we can relate things. I think that would be a solid yeah. move for us. And, and it's something that I would love to do. I haven't gotten to it, but that would be <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Keith, listen, man, this was fascinating, and I'm sure that I, I hope to have you on again. You know, we're going to hopefully have some more tech conversations, but uh, this is really interesting stuff. 
Um, we'll link to the profile that we did so you can hear a little bit about Keith and his uh, musicianship that uh, he has and uh, some of uh, his background. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. It was really a pleasure. Absolutely, Keith. Thanks so much. <laughs>